Hi, this is Connor Hibbard, WICB's Jazz and Specialty Music Director. You're tuned into Out to Lunch, where we'll dive into two prominent albums from all your favorite genres. On today's episode of Out to Lunch, we'll take a look back at a pair of iconic albums by two of jazz's most powerful singers. I Put a Spell on You by Nina Simone and Billie Holiday's Lady Sings the Blues. Released almost a decade apart, these two pillars of vocal jazz are not only reflections of each artist's distinct style, but of their talent as interpreters, showing how they cemented themselves forever in the jazz canon through their multifaceted craft. In 1965, Nina Simone released I Put a Spell on You, her sixth studio album and possibly her most iconic. In fact, a 2017 NPR article named it the third greatest album ever made by a woman, placing behind the miseducation of Lauryn Hill and Joni Mitchell's Blue. That ranking is well earned, as Simone's magnetic album combines vocal jazz, blues, and pop sensibilities into a powerful artistic statement by one of jazz's most powerful performers. Though she did not pen any of the songs on the record, her signature vocal style and undeniable presence makes the album a delightful listen. While contemporary listeners may be more familiar with Bette Midler's rendition in the film Hocus Pocus, and while superfans may be in tune with Screamin' Jay Hawkins' original version, it is Nina Simone's version of the title track, I Put a Spell on You, that has marked the song as a classic for decades. So iconic was Simone's performance that she actually titled her autobiography, I Put a Spell on You. Featuring fabulous orchestral arrangements, a seething brass interlude, and Simone's uninhibited, incredible vocals, the album's eponymous opener is a legendary composition and a memorable way to start the album. It takes quite a few tracks to get to another song even remotely as famous as I Put a Spell on You, but if any of Simone's performances can measure up to the opener, it has to be feeling good. Originally written for the musical The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd, Simone's version opens with a reticent, down-tempo, a cappella vocal track that leaves the listener on the edge of their seat, waiting for the forceful brass interjection that will kick the song into high gear. In this song especially, Simone is keenly aware of her power. She toys with the listener, makes them wait, and she builds the suspense perfectly through her deliberate phrasing and soulful vocals. When the instrumental finally does kick in, Simone knows just how to adjust her voice to take the song to the next level. A perfect blend of blues, jazz, and 1960s pop vocals, feeling good is Simone at her best, completely mesmerizing the listener and taking complete control of her craft. She takes a break from that vocal craft, however, in a not uncharacteristic instrumental interlude with the track Blues on Purpose. As well as being the album's lead vocalist, Simone accompanies herself on piano in these tracks, and she focuses all her intensity into a piece that feels the most like a straight jazz cut off a multi-genre record. There's nothing groundbreaking or completely out of the ordinary in Blues on Purpose, but its inclusion on the album is a delight nonetheless. The break from the rest of the album's style is a necessary one. The vocal jazz is great, yes, but there's a freeing aspect to hearing Simone master this Rudy Stevenson classic, infusing her classic jazz sensibilities with just a dash of guitar from her backing band to give the song a bluesy hue. This is a song you cannot help but tap your foot to, to snap your fingers to, to get lost in the rhythm of. Somewhat ironically, more than any other song on the album, Nina Simone casts a spell with blues on purpose, detailing her deliberation and musical excellence by straying away from the rest of the album's more mainstream stylings, if only just for a few minutes, to delve deeply into the jazz genre.
Nine years before the release of I Put a Spell on You, in 1956, to commemorate the release of her ghost-written autobiography of the same name, Billie Holiday released Lady Sings the Blues, a compilation of recordings from 1954 to 1956. Featuring some of Holiday's best-known hits, as well as four new tracks, the album is one of the most influential in all of Holiday's collection. Though the instrumental style is as smooth and silky as ever, Lady Sings the Blues does not represent Holiday at the height of her vocal power. Years of well-documented drug abuse had taken their toll on her higher register. Though, if you didn't know what to look for, you would never notice, as Holiday's charisma and presence that made her a star makes up for any technical shortcomings. Bookended by two searing, sultry trumpet solos by swing legend Charlie Shavers, the record's titular opener, Lady Sings the Blues, cools off noticeably after the aforementioned introduction. Switching seamlessly into a slow, swinging standard, the song was one of the four written originally for this album, but its musical tone blends in perfectly with other, more famous holiday hits. A perfect introduction to an album that is at least somewhat autobiographical in nature, Lady Sings the Blues fits right in with Holiday's already rich repertoire, both in its musical stylings and lyrical themes, and suggests something more sorrowful lurking under the luster of the album. Though this album is filled with recognizable Holiday songs, they can sometimes feel interchangeable, often sharing similar themes on love, loss, and heartbreak. When a song deviates from that form, then, it's certainly worth consideration, doubly so when the song is as historically significant as Strange Fruit. Famously recorded by Holiday in 1939, Strange Fruit protests the lynching of black Americans in the southern United States. Though Holiday believed in the song's importance and sociopolitical relevance, Harry Anslinger, commissioner of the now-defunct Federal Bureau of Narcotics, tried to forbid Holiday from singing the song, though the lady defied the demand. In retaliation, Anslinger launched a federal war on Holiday, exploiting her drug addiction, framing her for narcotics crimes, and having her cabaret card revoked, meaning she could not perform in any nightclubs that sold alcohol. The song's inclusion on Lady Sings the Blues is a testament to Holiday's perseverance, her sense of social responsibility, and the enduring necessity of a song that is as hauntingly constructed as it is vital. From Holiday's most mournful song to perhaps her most recognizable, God Bless the Child is the definition of a vocal jazz classic. Taken from an argument with her mother, Holiday wrote the song with frequent collaborator Arthur Herzog Jr., and its intricate, aloof lyrical construction, as well as its fitting jazz instrumentation, has made it one of Holiday's most intriguing works. This particular recording is perhaps most interesting not for Holiday's performance, but for the band's, as a young Kenny Burrell gets a chance to shine with a guitar track that becomes the instrumental backbone of the piece. Excellent backing performances from Wynton Kelly on piano and Paul Quinache on tenor sax add to the song's blues-induced feel and creates one of the most complete and complex tracks on the album. A classic, a masterpiece, and a personal favorite, God Bless the Child is a perfect way to open the album's second side and still stands today as one of Holiday's most definitive works. Less recognizable but still excellent, Willow Weep For Me is a... Less recognizable but still excellent, Willow Weep for Me is as smooth and well-composed as every other song on Lady Sings the Blues, though perhaps feels the least like a Billie Holiday song. Maybe that's because it's not. Anne Rennell originally wrote and performed the song in 1932, and it's had a long life as a jazz standard, being adapted by Frank Sinatra, Cal Jader, Holiday's pianist Wynton Kelly, and, fittingly, Nina Simone in 1959. 
Holiday's performance may not be the definitive version of Willow Weep for me, but its melancholy lyrics and understated orchestration allow Holiday to take full control of the track. Listening in 1956, you could never have suspected that Holiday's personal struggles were so pervasive, that her relationship issues and drug addiction were so consuming. And that is a testament to Billie Holiday's incredible presence, both on the stage and in the studio. As difficult as Holiday's life was, her musical genius was so great that her songs persist today for innumerable reasons, and Lady Sings the Blues is as enjoyable and enlightening a listening experience as it was 65 years ago. Hey, it's Connor Hibbert, WICB's Jazz and Specialty Music Director. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Out to Lunch. If you have any recommendations for what albums I should look into next, shoot me an email at jazz at wicb.org. I'd love to hear from you.